Well, good morning. Good to see all of you again this morning. Luke chapter 18, as we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke. And we're looking especially into this Gospel and trying to grasp what does God want to teach us about being His servants and serving Him. And today it's all about faith. God is looking for faith because without faith, we learn in the Bible, Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please God. Well, then how can we serve God if we're not really pleasing Him? And we certainly could go through the motions of service, but we're not truly pleasing Him and being effective in our service for God if we are serving Him, but we're not doing it from a foundation or place of faith. And in Luke chapter 18 this morning, we're going to look at eight expressions of faith, how faith in a sense is expressed through our life. Because I want to draw our attention first of all to the end of verse 8 of Luke 18. Jesus here is at the end of a parable and he says, when the Son of Man, he, will come back to earth, when he arrives, when he returns visibly to this earth, will he find faith on earth? Now, the implication of that is that true faith will be very rare upon the earth when Jesus comes back. Let me repeat that. Jesus here is saying, after looking really hard, after carefully searching and going around the earth, the faith that I'm looking for is going to be very rare when I return. Faith, amongst other ways to define it, is those who are fully relying and resting upon God. Fully, not partially even. Fully relying and resting in or upon God. Jesus says, when I come back, another way to say verse 8 at the end would be, I'm not going to find much true, real faith. Yet I hope that when he looks at my life, he finds faith. I hope when he looks at our church as as a church family that he finds faith here, that we may be part of that remnant, part part of of a small group of people who are still trusting and believing in the Lord when he returns. And Jesus here in this chapter through the different interactions that he has with different individuals, is teaching us something about how faith is expressed in our life. And the first one is found in verse 1 of Luke 18. Jesus was teaching them or telling them this parable to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart. One way our faith is expressed is through our prayer life, through seeking the Lord, through spending time in His presence. In a sense, then, what Jesus is saying is that, am I really going to find my people praying when I return? Prayerlessness is a sign of a lack of faith because it takes faith to be able to seek the Lord and to seek His face and to be in His presence and to pour out our hearts and to commune and to communicate with Him. And here's why it takes faith. First of all, it it takes faith because we believe that there's no one higher, no one greater that we could be talking to about anything and everything. 
But it also takes faith to know that the Bible teaches us about the character of our God, that many times the things that we talk to him about, the, the circumstances, the situations in our life, that they won't necessarily change just because we pray. They could, but a lot of times God isn't going to change the circumstances as much as change us in his presence. As I've shared with you before, he won't always calm the storm around us, but he will calm the heart of his child as we spend time in his presence. All of us then need to say, well, where's my prayer life at right now? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I building it in as a discipline of my Christian walk and, and life? Am I truly seeking the face of God? There's so many voices and so many faces that you and I can be looking at and listening to in this day and age, but the one we should be looking at the most, the one we should be listening to the most is the face of God. Getting with God. And notice that Jesus says it's important that you realize that you pray or, verse 1, you lose heart. Notice Jesus connects losing heart with not praying. Losing heart, another way to define that is to grow weary and to give up, to throw in the towel, to give in, to just say, I'm done. Throughout the history of mankind throughout the history of the Bible. We have many examples in this book that God gave us of those who gave up and gave in and threw in the towel and said, I'm done. And Jesus is saying to those especially living in the last days, it's going to get very difficult. And we certainly can see that. And Jesus is saying the only way you will have the strength that you need the only way you will have the fortitude spiritually and, and the spiritual stamina and, and just all of that to be able to hang in there and not, you know, wave the white flag in your life and just say, I'm done, is to spend time on our knees before the Lord in prayer. See, Jesus is giving us the expression of our faith. And I love what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 24.10, and this is so relevant to where we've been in the last couple months, and I think where we're going to go as a people until either we die off this earth or Jesus comes back. It's these words. The writer of Proverbs says, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. Well, first of all, we're living in days of adversity. And we will continue to live in days of adversity, challenging days, difficult days, days that try us. And the Bible teaches us that we only can go one of two ways. Either we have the strength to endure, to persevere, to get through, to thrive and not just survive, or the days get the best of us and we just faint and grow weary out of spiritual weakness, and we just give up and give in. There, there's only two ways to go here. And the author of Proverbs, Solomon, is saying, let's not faint. Jesus is saying, let's not faint or lose heart. Let's get on our knees before the Lord. Let's always be praying at all times, and let's just keep communing and communicating with God and seeking the Lord's face. 
and pouring out our hearts to Him. This is an expression of faith. Prayer. The second expression or way faith is expressed is through humility. Again, in verse 9, Jesus told them this parable especially those who were confident, self-reliant, self-sufficient, that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else, treated others as less valuable than themselves. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there that I see. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner I am. Literally, cover me, God. Cover me. Provide a covering for me, which is very interesting because all the way back in the book of Genesis, remember after Adam and Eve fell, they tried to cover themselves? <laughs> And God had to come along and slay an animal and put a covering on them because whatever we do to cover our sin is inadequate. Only what God provides is adequate to cover our sin. And the tax collector is saying, God, I need your covering because whatever I would do to cover myself isn't adequate enough. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you that this man... The tax collector, the one that was despised in society in that day, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. Why? Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Another way our faith is expressed is in humility. Not thinking less of ourselves than we should, but thinking right about ourselves as we should. In a sense, Biblical humility is simply realizing our limitations, our finiteness, and that we need God, that, that we must live a God-dependent life, not like those in the beginning there in verse 9 who were confident that they were righteous. They were self-sufficient, self-reliant. God, I don't need you. That's not humility. Humility is recognizing our need it is recognizing that without God, I, I, I can't do this. I, I'm nothing. In a sense, it ties into even then needing to pray because I know I can't navigate these days without his power and without his presence in my life. And so I stay at a great level with God and with others. I, I don't look down on them. I don't think them any less valuable than I do myself. But it, it more than anything is manifested in how we come to God so often knowing that we need God and that we totally live a God-reliant, God-dependent life. Is our faith being expressed through our prayer life? And is our faith being expressed through the way we live humbly before our God? Because Jesus says, you exalt yourself, you make it all about you. You put yourself out there. You, you're all about seeking the power and position and prestige of the world. God's going to bring you low. It, it, it might not happen immediately, but somewhere along the line, either now or in eternity, God's going to bring you down off of that high that you're on. Because let's face it, too. If you and I put ourselves up somewhere or we get other people to put us up there, 
those other people that put us there can also take us down, right? If God puts you there, the only one that can remove you from there is God. So Jesus is saying, isn't it better to let God put you where he wants you, and that way only God can remove you if he wants to. But when we want others to put us in places, we also know those very same people can take us down. One other thing before I move on that really struck me. Notice in verse 10, two men went up to the house of God. Two men went up. Two men attended the church service. Two men or women or a man and a woman came into the oasis to worship the Lord. But notice what Jesus says in verse 14. Only one went down right with God. You see, just because I come to the house of God and whatever, if my heart is not right before God, I can leave still not right with God even though I came to the house of God. If I'm not humble and I'm not letting God work on me, and change what needs to be changed in my life. And we've all been there where we've been sitting in a church service and the preacher's been preaching, and we're thinking about every last person that should be hearing this but us. <laughs> you know, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. <laughs> or the person sitting, you know, these people over I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, these people over there, they're thinking about you over here. <laughs> And, and you over there, that, yeah, they're thinking about them too. Yeah, yeah. Humble. Humble. See, I, I, can, I can go through the motions just like the Pharisee. I can come to the house of God. But I know I don't want to be one of those people that attend the house of God and have an interaction or engagement with God and with the people of God and leave and go back home. Not right not aligned with God, you see. And that's what happened here. Simply because of his pride and his unwillingness to humble himself before God. The third way faith is expressed is to receive from God like a child does. I love this. Jesus loves the little children. People were bringing their babies even for him to touch, to bless them. And when the disciples saw it, they began to scold those who brought them. The disciples always had a way of getting between people, even children and Jesus. Jesus like, no, no, no. Huh. That's not who my servants are. Jesus called for the children, saying, let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It shows us that God has a heart for everyone, but there's something about little children that really touch the heart of God. Because you see, even in that society, it's like, you know, uh, women, you know, had a separate place and children, you know, the, the whole thing that, you know, oh, don't bother, he's the master, you know. And Jesus, yeah, I'm God, but I always have time for everyone including children. And then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, verse 17, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child will not even ever enter it. See, faith, Jesus is saying, is, is willing and able to embrace or to receive what God wants to give to us. And it sort of even ties back in even to the previous thing about pride, because pride says, no, I, 
I don't want what you've got to offer. I, I can do this on my own. Again, self-sufficient, self-reliant. In fact, we're introduced in verse 18. I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but just to give you a little context to this rich young man who comes to Jesus and still is, is not knowing that not everything's right in his life between him and God. So we notice he says to Jesus in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and I literally drew a line in my Bible between the word receive in verse 17 and the word do in verse 18, because that's really the difference here. This guy still thinks there's something I can do, and what Jesus is going to teach him throughout verses 18 and the rest of that passage is, it's not about you doing, it's about your willingness to receive. We always want to do. And, and not that doing is not important, because we're obviously talking here in the Gospel of Luke about being a servant, and servant, servantship is about acting and doing. But it's about doing and acting after I receive from God. It's again, it's about serving out of the overflow of what God wants to pour into my life. But so many times, and we're this way even with each other, it's so much easier for especially us as Christians to give to others than it is to receive from others. And yet Jesus says, faith receives like a child. Why does he use a child? Let me ask you, and maybe you have, I haven't. Have you ever seen a child refuse a gift? Here, I got a gift or a present for you. Last night, our little grandson come home from a couple of days away, and, you know, Dee Dee and Granddad had something for him, you know. So Dee Dee already had given him something, and Granddad came out with something, and he's like this. <laughs> children love to receive things and get things. Well, guess what? We're God's children, right? And, and in our faith, we should be willing to say, God, what do you have for me? I, I, my hands are open. I'm willing. That, that's not an inappropriate thing. Because why? Because we're going to him saying, God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to take, you place it into my hand. So we're not making any conditions on what God gives us, but we're simply willing to receive whatever God has for us. Like a little child. And not go, no, God, it's okay, you know. No, because God wants to give us good things. Jesus even says, you know, don't you as earthly parents and grandparents love to give gifts to your children and grandchildren? He says, how much more does your heavenly father want to dump good things into your life? Are we willing to receive like a little child that which is offered to us by God? See, being able to receive from God is just as important as being willing to give to God's kingdom and to give to others, because that's where it starts. Because you and I, if we're not giving out of receiving, then there will come a point where we'll stop giving. It's got to be a river that literally flows through our life, you see. Not, not like a cup that's... that's standing up where you put 
something in it, liquid or something solid, and you keep getting out of, eventually you're going to get to the end. It's that illustration, again, like I told you before, where you take the bottom and you cut the bottom out of the cup and you tilt the cup sideways and you let the water just flow through. That's the, that's the way God wants us to live our life. Not from the cup being this way and, and taking out, but from tilting the cup sideways, cutting the bottom out, and just letting God's life and God's resources and everything and blessings flow through us out to others. But first, we've got to be willing to receive those from God ourselves. Faith also trusts God for the impossible. In, in beginning in verse 18, as Jesus is interacting with this young man, you find out pretty quickly that this young man is basically very self-righteous. <laughs> he basically says to Jesus, well, Jesus, I've kept all these commandments, but I still feel like something's missing. Now, in this whole interaction, Jesus is trying to pierce the young man's armor of self-righteousness, okay? By basically telling him, then, then go and just sell everything you've got, knowing that the young man isn't going to be willing to part with that stuff. Not that that's what saves us, but he's trying to get the young man to see it's not in what you do, because you can never do enough to earn or merit your standing before God. It must be what you receive by faith through grace. You see. So then Jesus makes this statement. He says, it's harder for rich people to get into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's just simply saying, because the more stuff we have in our lives and around our lives, the more sort of self-sufficient and self-reliant we become as human beings. And it's like, what need do I have for God? So then, notice verse 26. Those who heard this said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible for mere humans is possible for God. Why? Because every last one of us who is saved in here is a miracle. None of us got saved because we did it. We got saved because we trusted in only what God could do for us. You see. And God is still the God of the impossible. Do you have faith to believe that with God all things are possible? Jesus is basically saying, we're not able as human beings, but God is able. And I love what Paul said to the Ephesians. He says, oh, and by the way, God is not only able, He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. That's our God. Our God is the God of Genesis 18 when God came to Abraham and said, You're gonna have, you and Sarah are going to have a child and saw Sarah, or heard Sarah chuckling. Comes back to Abraham and says, Your wife laughed. Of course, in the background, she goes, No, nah, I didn't laugh. <laughs> yeah, you did, Jesus said. And God looks right at Abram and says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's faith. And, you know, we can, we can say that with our lips. We can even sort of think that in our heads. But do we really believe that in our hearts? Do we really believe that God is the God of the impossible? Are we still interacting with the God of miracles and the God of the impossible? I love what God said to Jeremiah. 
He was telling Jeremiah about all these future plans he had to basically restore the people of God and take them out of exile and bring them back home and everything. And, and even Jeremiah, the prophet, was like, how in the world is that going to happen? And God stopped him and says, I am the Lord, the God of all humanity. There is indeed nothing too difficult for me. God of the impossible. In fact, I like to remind myself of this. I don't live with impossibilities. I live with him-possibilities. That's what God is looking for. A group of people who still believe God is the God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too difficult for God. We pray it. We live it. We believe it. We trust in it. That's our God. Is there anyone here today that believes God can do anything? Amen. I hope so. Because Jesus said, when I come back to earth and I even begin to look at my people, am I going to find anyone even of my own people who still believes I can do the impossible? I hope he finds them here. Because that's one of the expressions of faith. And then I want to take you over to this very last section where Jesus heals the blind man beginning in verse 35. I want you to see four things out of his interaction with this blind man of how faith is expressed. As Jesus approached Jericho, verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was going on. They told him, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. Boy, that's, there's no better news than that. Jesus is here. He's near. He's passing by. I want to be a part of it. I want to pursue it. I want to seize my opportunity. So verse 38, the blind man calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And notice what happened. Those who were in front scolded him, basically told him, will you shut up and be quiet? I love the man's response. He shouted even more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know why? Because faith is tenacious and fearless and refuses to be silenced. The world and the devil and even our own flesh tries to get us to be silent about our faith and silent about who Jesus is. They will do that our whole life. I know even in my ministry for 35 plus years, the world, the flesh, and the devil has tried to silence this mouth and keep it shut. And, and I have to have faith to be fearless and, and tenacious and say, I will not be quiet. I will speak up. I will teach your word, God, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice. And God is looking for his people to be like that today. Because let me tell you, we are living in a world that more and more is trying to shut the church down and shut the church up. And we've got to raise our voices all the more. He was scolded. They tried to put him in his place. And he just made it even louder. And notice, when he did that, what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped. Now, I find it very intriguing that Jesus didn't stop the first time the man said something. Not that he wouldn't have, but I'm just saying it's very interesting that it was after he was scolded by the crowd around him and told to be quiet, and then he shouted even more that Jesus stopped. And he ordered the beggar to be brought to him. 
When the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he replied, Lord, let me see again. You know another way faith is expressed? Faith responds to the voice of God. And faith, in, in addition to that, same, print, same point, I'm not moving on to another point, but underneath that, faith has an answer to this question. Because guess what? My God is still asking people of faith that same question today. And maybe he's asking it even of some of you in this auditorium this morning. He's asked it of me. Am I ready to answer that question? Do I even believe God would ask me that question? Some, some Christians don't even have the faith to believe that God wants to ask them that question. What do you want me to do for you? I remember the first time God asked me that question, I wasn't ready. I thought, I don't know. God needed to build my faith up in who he was and what he could do in and through me. And the next time, thank God, God's got a second chances. Amen? Sometimes opportunities go by, you never get them again. But with God, a lot of times he brings it back around. The next time God asked me, oh, I was ready to answer then. I was just like this blind man. I, 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 have my, I have an answer for you, God. I know what I want you to do for me. Because faith responds to the voice of God. And faith has an answer when God asks us this question. And I believe if it was God's heart, God wants to ask every one of his children that question. What do you want me to do for you? Do you have an answer if God asks you that today? That's one of the other ways that faith is expressed. Then Jesus said to him, receive. Oh, there's that word again. Why? Because it's a gift from God. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you whole or healed you. Again, the importance of faith from beginning to end of this chapter. And he immediately he regained his sight. And here's the next to last way faith is expressed in this chapter. Faith follows Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus. You see, it wasn't just about receiving the gift that God had for him. It was about making the giver his treasure. It wasn't just about receiving the blessing from God. It was about loving the one who brought the blessing. So often, you know, God does things for us, and we talked about the lepers that God healed, and only one of them turned back and, and in a sense, gave thanks and followed him. And, and many times, you know, we, we want all the, the, the great things surrounding being a child of God, but do we really have a heart for God himself? And faith cares about God and about making him our treasure more than all that he could ever bestow upon us. Because faith is willing to follow the Lord. Faith is willing to be a devoted follower of the Lord, a disciple, and that's what this man became. He didn't get his sight healed and go, okay, God, thank you for giving me sight. Now I'm off to do my own thing. No, it was like, you gave me this sight, and now I'm going to use my sight and everything that you've given me now for the rest of my life to be a disciple, a faithful follower of yours, because faith follows the Lord. Faith understands there's no better leader, there's no better shepherd, there's no one that knows where to go. In fact, God, you're already there ahead of me, so God, I'm going to follow you. Faith always follows. But then one final expression of faith, 
faith worships. Notice, he followed Jesus, and then the Bible says, praising God, celebrating God, exalting God, worshiping God. And then I love this, when all the people saw it, stop there for just a minute, our faith is clearly discernible to others. Do you get that? See, see, God wants our faith to be expressed so that others see our faith. It wasn't just that they saw the healing. They saw his expression of faith in order to be healed that Jesus himself commended. Your faith made you whole or healed you. And then notice, they too gave praise to God. You see, faith not only lives a life of worship, God. God, I praise you. I couldn't praise you enough. I couldn't celebrate you enough, God. I will wake up every morning and I will start celebrating you and praising you and worshiping you. And I won't stop all day long, all through the day. My heart will be lifting you up and praising you and extolling you and exalting you because, God, you are worthy of all this. And all that you've done for me is more than I could ever deserve. And all that I get to look forward to is more than I ever could deserve. So, God, I'm just going to live a life of praise. And when you and I get on fire to praise God like that, guess what happens? We then begin to stir others to worship the Lord too. We, we begin, to, begin to incite others to worship the Lord because that's exactly what happened here. They saw the faith of this man. Faith enough not only to receive his sight, faith enough to believe in a God who can do the impossible, but faith to worship the Lord. And as they saw him lifting up his hand and lifting up his voice to worship and praise the Lord, they started to do it too. Because that's part of why God brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The passage we're going to be looking at Wednesday night, a passage that we base our ministry on, complementing worship with the Word, I'm going to be teaching on out of the book of Colossians Wednesday night. And in that passage, the Bible says, let the Word of God dwell in us richly as Christians, then speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Did you get that? Speaking to one another. In other words, worship isn't just vertical. As we worship the Lord vertically, God is also using our worship, hopefully, to encourage other believers to join in and worship along with us. That's why we not only sing worship, but in a sense, we are speaking to one. We're testifying to each other. This is our God, and I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to applaud Him, and I'm going to affirm Him, and I'm going to worship Him, and I'm going to praise Him because He's worthy of worship. And faith will be expressed in our worship. So with that said, can I invite you all to stand? And guess what we're going to do? We're going to worship the Lord here this morning. And here's what we're going to do in this environment of worship. I want you to think about yourself being sort of a firebrand. And I want you to think about yourself being on fire to worship the Lord and that God's going to use your light to ignite somebody else's light in this room. 
And that others are going to be encouraged to stand up and worship the Lord and praise Him like never before too because they're going to start to see you living a life of worship. They're going to start to hear you praising the Lord and worshiping Him and exalting Him. And so as you worship the Lord, just like the people here that saw the blind man and his healing and his faith, they're going to start worshiping and praising the Lord too. And it's going to start extending and the ripple effect is going to go out and more and more people are going to be encouraged to worship the Lord. Are you with me this morning? Then let's worship the Lord this morning.